Good morning. <sighs> okay. Hey, um, before I jump into what we got to talk about, two things. Why don't you grab your Bibles and start looking for Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, small letter, so I just want to give you a chance to find it before we get into it. So Ephesians chapter 3, um, if you're using the Pew Bibles, it's uh, page 858. Um, and while you're looking for that, let me just remind you, next Saturday, we're not going to be here. We're going to be out at Baldwick Park. We're going to have Celebration Sunday. It happens at 1030. Um, and we're actually going to meet on the new baseball diamond. I don't know if you know it, but we have invested now uh, $1.7 million to build a championship baseball field. That Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, all of that money funded through an outside source uh, to Eagle Sports. Um, but I want you guys to see it, and I want us to experience Celebration Sunday on that field. So we're actually going to do the service right there on the baseball diamond. It's going to be awesome. So plan on coming, plan on staying for the picnic afterward, and uh, getting all that God has for you. Hey, uh, if you're new here to Grace, today's your first day, or you've uh, only been here a few times, first of all, let me say welcome. But let me also just tell you that today's a little bit different. We're going to have a different sort of service. Today is what we call Vision Sunday. And what I'm going to do with our time today is I'm kind of going to talk a little bit more about who we are as a church and where God is taking us in the coming year. So it's a little bit different flair. Um, and I want to do it by um, reading this passage. And part of the reason I want to read the passage in Ephesians is because it's a passage that God takes me back to over and over and over. It's a passage that I find myself even saying internally. It's a passage that I've committed to memory, and I just find myself going back there. And I think it's a passage that God gave to us as leadership um, some time ago for this church. So Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 14 through 21. Paul writes these words. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he will strengthen you with power through his spirit in your innermost being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all of the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and to Jesus Christ throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Hey, let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for just the, uh, uh, the words that you've given me, the words that you've given us as a leadership team. Thank you for the vision that you have entrusted to us. We pray that we would uh, come together today as a family, that we would hear what you want us to hear and uh, take from this place what you want us to take from this place. Thank you for uh, the Millers. Thank you for their ministry. Thank you for the Bressers in Russia and the Bressers in Geneva and their ministry. Thank you that we get this uh, great privilege to partner with people all over the world to tell them about Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So why do we exist? Why does the church exist? Well, the truth of the matter is we exist to make God known. We are commissioned in the scripture to make disciples of all nations, but the very heart of making a disciple is getting someone to a place where they know who God is. This knowing of God is the heart of discipleship. And if you look at the Ephesian study, Paul knows, or the Ephesian factor we looked at, Paul knows that if the church in Ephesus 
are going to live out their faith, if they're going to live out that great commission, if they're going to make God known, then there's a few things that need to be in place. So he says, he prays for them, and he says that in verse 15, that he prays that they would be a family, that they would actually be connected, that they would share a common name. He says, I pray from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. You know, we talk in the church circles about brother and sister, but the truth of the matter is, it's a theological fact. We are actually a family. We actually share a common name. And then he says that they they need to have the power of God unleashed in their lives. So verse 16, he says that, that God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, that the Holy Spirit would actually indwell you, empower you, and give you the, the ability to do the ministry that God has before you. In verse 18 and 19, he says that he wants them to know how much God loves them. So he writes that they would grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses all knowledge, to know that love, to know who God is that goes beyond our theological knowledge. I've said it a lot in the last few weeks, but most of us don't have a behavioral problem or an obedience problem. We have a knowing problem. The more we know God, the more we know how much God loves us, the more we have this knowledge of God that surpasses all knowledge, the more we're going to walk in obedience and the more we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. And then he prays that they would be full of God. In verse 19, he says that they would be filled to the measure of all fullness of God. What is our mission here at Grace? We are? Awesome. Were you reading that or did you know it? A little of both. We are a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. And the fact of the matter is, without us knowing that we are a family, without us having this this deep understanding that we are a family, that we need to tap into the power of the Spirit in our lives, without deeply rooted love in our lives, and without really knowing and having the fullness of God, we cannot live into that mission statement. We will fail at being a mosaic striving to live like Jesus. But when we get it right, when we actually do all these things, look at verse 20. It says that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. That's the passage of Scripture that gets me every time. You see, I got a very vivid imagination. I can imagine God doing all kinds of things. But the Scripture says, no, God wants to do more, Doug, than you can ask or imagine. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God really wants to do more in your life than you can ask or imagine? How awesome would that be? So about two and a half years ago, the leadership at Grace began this pretty intense, um, thorough journey of of defining our our mission, our values, our strategy, uh, and and putting them all together in a way that we could could work through it. We prayed over it. We fought over it. We we had good arguments and bad arguments, but we stayed in the room literally over the last couple years trying to hone this thing about who we really are. What do we really believe? And, 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 And what is the strategy at Grace? And it all centered around this question. If somebody were to come in the church and they were to say to us, hey, look, I I just accepted Christ as my personal Savior. How do I grow? How do I grow as a follower of Jesus? What do I need to do to live more like Jesus, to live into that mission statement? What really needs to happen within me? And what we found out is we all had a lot of good answers, but we all had different answers. We all had different answers to, to, to how we would suggest doing that. So we began to put together a strategy for how someone would grow and what we think is an essential part. And what came out of that as part of our way of doing church is something we call the six essentials. And you see them up here in the back. But the six essentials are simply this. These are the things that you need in your life in order to grow spiritually. 
Now, they're not, it's not a linear path. This isn't about doing one and then doing the next. So up, if you, and I can't read that top word, but it says gather there. So, so it's not like we gather for a while, and then when we're done gathering, we, we connect with others, and when we're done connecting, we serve. This is kind of a, the whole thing. As a matter of fact, we would call these elements, and the very definition of an element is they are parts that make up a whole. So this isn't about doing one, then doing the other. And if you look at the graphic, there's outer essentials, and that's what we do together. That's what we do as a church, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time talking today. And then there's inner essentials, that as you do those outer things, it'll shape and mold how things are going in your inner life as well. One of the things I just want to make sure we put on the table is, is we recognize that any kind of spiritual growth, any kind of change is a spiritual thing, that God is the one that does that, that we can't make ourselves grow, that we can't grow ourselves. But what we do know from Scripture is that we can actually position ourselves in a better place to grow. We can actually be intentional. We can examine our own lives. We can make space in our lives for God to do more. So this is more about putting yourself in a position, but it requires surrendering to the Holy Spirit. It 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 implies from the very passage in Ephesians that we are filled with the power of God and that God is doing the work. But these are the things that help us to be positioned in such a way to grow. In my business days, back in the old Kinko's days when I, when I was doing business, um, I had a mentor. His name was Terry Payne. And Terry would take me and my friend Dan out to lunch uh, all the time. And I'm pretty sure I learned more about business over lunch with Terry Payne than I did in all of the business school and college that I went to because Terry was just real and he could do it. But one of the things that Terry would always do is he would always use the word opportunity. You see, I would sit with Terry and I would talk about what was going wrong. I'd talk about the problems I was having in business. I'd talk about a a hurdle that I couldn't get over. And he would always turn around and he would say, it sounds like a great opportunity, Doug. It sounds like that problem is actually an opportunity, which is the truth. Because if you can figure out a way to solve a problem in business, a lot of times that becomes the very thing that allows your business to be successful. So he kind of, he changed a paradigm for me. And and instead of talking about weaknesses and challenges and, and problems, that it's more common that I like to talk about how they're an opportunity. And that's kind of what we're going to do today. We're going to look at the outer essentials. We're going to look at gather, connect, and serve. And we're going to talk about things that we're doing well, but we're also going to talk about opportunities, things that we probably could improve on and things that will help the church to to do better. So the first essential that you see up there is gather, that we are to gather. Rather than spell it, I'm just going to put a G right here. We are to gather. There's something that happens in this room when we come together in church, that can't be replicated. There's something that happens when we sing together. The cool thing, like even this morning, when the music goes down a little bit, and I can hear you singing in unison, and the lamb will overcome, the lamb will overcome, it, it ministers to me, and all of a sudden I'm inspired, and I'm, I'm drawn into something bigger. There's something that happens in corporate worship. There's something that happens when we sit under the teaching of the, of the pastors. There's something that happened when we're together that's bigger than us, that, that, that is part of God's design. And the truth of the matter is, you need to be here on Sunday mornings to experience what God has for you. But one of the opportunities or challenges we have at Grace is that we've made a commitment. We are going to be a mosaic, striving to live like Jesus. And the truth of the matter is, if you were to go to a church growth expert, you know, and there are those people out there, we could hire somebody that that's all they do. They come to churches and they tell, tell the church what they need to do in order to grow. We could hire a church growth expert, and you know what they would say to us? they say, well, you've got to define who your target market is. 
you got to define and you got to profile who it is you want to come to your church. So some churches would say, look, our profile is a 33-year-old white male with two kids that's married. They would have it written down. They would have a name for him maybe even. And they would make every decision they make at their church around that 33-year-old white male that's married with two children. What does that guy listen to in his car? What kind of music is he listening to? What kind of entertainment is he, is, he, is he going to? What does he like to see when he walks in the door? How would you make this church to be attractive to that 33-year-old white male who's married with two kids? And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not being critical of that. In some areas, that would be okay. And there's churches that do this all the time. There's churches for 20-somethings. And so they think, what are 20-somethings listening to? How are they responding to the world? There's churches for people who just like hip-hop. There's churches for people who are old. There's churches that are geared just for young people who are on college campuses. And those are all good things. But that's not our thing. Because God has said, look, I want you guys to do something a little bit different. I want you guys to buck the norm and not listen to the church growth expert. I want you to be a mosaic. And to be a mosaic is complicated. It's really complicated. That's why when you come to Grace, on any given Sunday, the worship style is going to be different. We have different worship leaders and we have different worship styles. That's why we want to foster a, a teaching team that has different styles of teaching. Because the truth of the matter is, what isn't for you on one Sunday is probably absolutely exactly what somebody else needs or can relate to. It's this idea that we can actually practice preferring one another. That we can actually put into practice Philippians 2, 3 and 4 that says to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility value others above yourself. Don't look to your own interests, but look to the interests of others. How many of you have family movie night in your home? You have something called family movie night, just me and you. So right now, it's just me and you. Somebody else, raise their hand, please. Come on, can't Charles, you never have family movie night? Okay, sometimes. Well, here, we have family movie night at my house, and guess what? We have never agreed on the movie. Never, not once. No, no chance are we ever going to say, well, let's watch, you know, I'm, I'm going for the action show, movie, and Meg wants the romantic comedy, and who knows what, and Jake wants Pulp Fiction or something. Who knows what, what each one of us is going to want. But the point of the matter is we never, we never start out agreeing. But at some point, we make a decision. And once we make the decision, then we watch the movie together. Because it's a lot more than just the movie. And you know what I find out is sometimes the last movie I would pick is a movie that has a huge impact on me. That actually, I, I, I get there and I see it and I'm like, wow, this is better than I expected. Not always. Definitely not always, but sometimes more. But you know what else happens is when I watch my kids love the movie, it brings great joy to me. So there's, there's something more that's going on. In a lot of ways, that's what's going on here at Grace. When we actually lean into this mosaic, some Sundays you're going to have to realize this isn't for me, but it is for them. And you can take joy and you can participate. And God will move in that if you come with an open spirit and you will discover new things. But you will actually be able to practice preferring one another's. That's one of our opportunities here at Grace. So we gather on Sunday and we, we work into this mosaic and, and that's an opportunity. But there's another opportunity for us here at Grace. You see, we have about 13 to 1,500 people that show up here on any given Sunday. But we also know is that there's closer to 3,000 people who would call Grace their home, who would be what I would call regular attenders. They come multiple times in a year. And what's, what we're discovering is that a lot of people come once a month. A lot of people maybe come twice a month. 
And if we believe what we've already taught to be true, that you need to be here, that there's something that happens on Sunday morning, we want to, to get people showing up more regularly because we believe God wants to use that to move in their, in their lives. So imagine if we all showed up. The room would be full. And the power and the impact and the momentum that cre- would create would be awesome. So what are we going to do? What are we going to do about that sporadic attendance opportunity? Well, I got four different things that we're going to be intentional about. But one thing is we're going to teach to it. We're going to teach to it like I just did. We're actually going to talk about it more often. We're going to encourage people to be here more often because God is doing something. We're also, second thing we're going to do is we're going to foster an environment where people don't want to miss because God is doing something. The more we see the Spirit of God move on Sunday mornings, the more people are more likely to say, I don't want to miss it. I don't want to miss what God is doing. There's something going on at Grace. I want to be there. I don't know what the next week is going to hold, but I want to be there with great anticipation. People will come because they want to be part of something where God is moving. The other thing we know we have to do is we have to do a better job with the series. We have to make sure you know what the series are, when they're coming, why they're coming, what the purpose of the series is. And one of the things we discovered with Philippians is that that people got excited to study Philippians. People got excited to get through that book. They didn't want to miss a week because they wanted to get all of Philippians, not because it was brilliant teaching, but because they want to know what did Paul say in Philippians. And so we need to do a better job of helping you to know where we're going, why we're going there, what is this series all about, so that you're drawn into those series and that you want to come back. The win for us would be where you, you have to get the CD. I miss that week because life happens, and I get that. You're out of town. That You can't wait. You're going to get the CD so that you can have that, that, con- that consistent message all the way through whatever teaching. So this summer, we're going to teach through the letter of 1 Peter. 1 Peter is a great letter. It's written to a group of people who are oppressed in their situation, who are in a really rough situation. But Peter's instructing them. He's telling them how to have huge impact even though they are in an um, oppressed situation how to have impact, how to actually be a game changer. So we're going to do a series all summer called Game Changer. What does it look like for you to be a game changer in your particular environment? And the last thing I think what we have to do is we have to create much deeper connections. We have to help people to connect with each other on a deeper level. So the truth of the matter is when you're not here, you're missed. When, when you're not here, you miss somebody. The truth of the matter is people can come and go. They can slip in and they can slip out and never be noticed. And we have to change that. We have to foster connections with each other in such a way that when somebody isn't here, they get a phone call, not to shame them, but to say, hey, I didn't see you at church. Are you okay? Are you doing all right? And then they're going to want to be here. So the first essential for us is that we gather. If we don't gather regularly, we put ourselves in harm's way. You need to take it seriously. You need to be here every Sunday that you can. If we are a family, if we really believe that that we all derive our name from Jesus Christ and that we're actually a family and that's just not a religious quip that we use, then you're not being here. It's like going to a family reunion and part of the family's not there. You miss them. It's a loss. It's just not the same. You even want your quirky aunt to be at 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 the family reunion, right? We want everybody to show up because we're family. So all that being said, if all you do is gather If you are faithful to coming every Sunday, but that's all you do, you are also in grave danger because it requires more than just gathering. The second thing that we have to do is we have to connect. There's something that happens in a small group of people that cannot happen in this corporate environment. 
There's something that happens in one-on-one relationships. There's something that happens in small groups that, that, is, that is necessary for life change. Proverbs 27, 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. Something else has to happen besides what's going on in this room for one person to pour into another person. I know I've said this lots of times, but there are a few men in my life that make a difference in my spiritual journey. Mike Mancinelli, Dan Bennett, Scott Shaw, Randy Reese. These are guys who I call when I need somebody to pray for me. These are guys who are calling me when they need somebody to pray for them. These are guys who know when I'm, when I'm off kilter, who know when I'm, dare I say, just not doing what God wants me to do. They see it in me. They know me inside and out. They call me out. They call me out if I'm not being good to Meg. They're, they're great friends, but they live out their lives in front of Jesus and for Jesus, and it inspires me, and, and it encourages me. But I need those guys. You need those types of relationship in your life. We have to have heart-to-heart, intimate relationships with other people if we are going to thrive and grow in our spiritual development. It's necessary for all of us. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I had this moment on this stage. I don't know if anybody can relate to this. Maybe it's something only if you, if you do public speaking you can. But I can be in the middle of a sermon and having a completely different conversation in my head. That probably scares some of you. If you only knew what was going on up here, you know, I could be thinking about, oh, look, so-and-so's seat's empty. I wonder where they are. How come they're not at church? Well, I, just all those, while I'm talking, are going through my head. But in this particular Sunday, while I was preaching, God said to me, Doug, I want this to be a church without curtains. You see, we used to have these black curtains, and they would start over there, and they would go all the way across the back. Now there's just that one set, but they would go all the way across the back. And we put them up because we wanted to shrink the room. We wanted people to come closer. We wanted to create more intimacy. We didn't have enough people here to to have all those seats, and so we were trying to make the room a little bit smaller. So when God said that, I looked up, and I thought to myself, oh, God wants us to grow. God wants to fill all the seats. He wants to reach our, our full redemptive potential as a, as a place of worship. And, and I think he wants to do all that. But I went home and I began to just ask the Lord, like, what, are you, what is it you're saying to me? And I soon realized that it was way, way more than those black curtains. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, in the moment that he dies, the scripture tells us that the curtain was torn from top to bottom. And something changed in that moment that gave us access to God and gave God a different sort of way of relating to us. And now we didn't have to have somebody go into the Holy of Holies and experience God's presence. God's presence was in us, that we had access to God's presence, we have access to God's power, we have access to God's healing. We have this a completely different opportunity with God. So the curtain is torn, but the truth of the matter is we still put up curtains. In our shame, in our anger, in our embarrassment, in our sin, we erect curtains. We say, God, you can have everything, but I'm not going there. God, you can have everything, but I'm not letting go of this. God, you can have all of this. And the truth of the matter is we have curtains, and we hide behind those curtains. The curtains are there to hide what's behind them, and they're in our lives. And God's saying, I want this to be a church without curtains. I want you to be a people who actually know each other and love each other. I want to know you in a way that you have never been known before. I want this to be a church without curtains. So we've begun a process of writing a curriculum. 
a curriculum that we're going to finish by the fall, and we are going to do a church-wide study starting in the fall called The Church Without Curtains. We're going to get, a, yeah, we're going to get 750. We're going to get 750 to 1,000 people participating in small groups using 90 to 100 small group leaders. And it will breathe life into our small group ministry. It will foster a deeper level of connection with people. I guarantee you that for many of you, the relationships that start in those small groups will be the life-changing relationships that carry with you for the rest of your spiritual journey. That's my journey. That first small group, the men that I met who introduced me to other men who became a part of my, my daily walk with Jesus, it was a profound thing. So we're going to do this thing called the Church Without Curtains. And I think what God is saying to, to me is, I want us to tear down the curtains of grace. Because if you tear down the curtains, then you will be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. If you tear down the curtains, then I can strengthen you with power through your spirit in your innermost being. If you tear down the curtains, then you'll be able to grasp how wide and how deep and how high is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses all knowledge. A church without curtains is a church where God is truly known and God is loved. A church without curtains is, where, is a church where we are really loved, but we are also known. It's really a church without pretense. You see, whenever we put on pretense, whenever we pick up our false selves, whenever we try to project an image that isn't really who we are, we're erecting a curtain. We're hiding from each other. We are going to be a church without curtains. Amen. I have no idea where I am in my notes. I do that to myself all the time. So we're, we're, we're committed to fostering better opportunities for you to connect. We are committed to it. But the truth of the matter is we can do all this. If you do not step up and you do not plug in, then you're not going to connect. So you don't even have to wait. We have a, a great study that's coming up this, this summer. With uh, It's called Kingdom Women and Kingdom Men. It'll start June 17th. Come to Tuesdays at Grace. That's the whole design of Tuesdays at Grace, where we gather around the Word of God at small tables where we begin to get to know each other and make deeper friendships. So we gather, we connect and the last thing we have to do as part of the outer essentials is we have to serve. We have to serve. Jesus was talking to his followers, the very men who were going to launch the church. He was in the room with the men and he said the, the rulers and the authorities, they lord over you. They lead you in a power sort of way. But then he looks at his disciples and he says, but not so with you. You are called as ones to serve. It was in that same setting that Jesus actually took off his outer garment and he washed the disciples' feet. He served. Throughout Jesus' entire ministry, he served, not just when he went to the cross for you and I, but throughout his ministry, he was one who served. And he said, if I serve, you need to serve. If I've shown you how to do this, I've shown you that it's all about service, then you need to be about service. And the truth of the matter is, when we talk about service in the church, it's not because we need more out of you. It's not because we're trying to squeeze one more thing out of the congregation. It's because it's an integral part of your spiritual development that you serve. So sing if God has given you the gift to sing. 
Play an instrument if God has given you the gift of playing an instrument. Work in children's ministry if that's your niche. Go teach a child to read. Volunteer at Covenant Community Care and help with that thing. Be downstairs and helping to hand out food on the weekends through my father's business. Work in the parking lot. There are so many places for you to plug in and for you to serve. And here's what I want you to know. If this is your home church, this is an expectation that you serve. But serve where you, get, where you get life out of it. Serve where God is going to use it to grow you and shape you. We have to serve. So the truth of the matter is, if you were to, to look at these outer essentials, when we gather, it, it helps us to connect, right? And when we connect, sometimes it makes us want to serve. But when we serve, it also helps us to connect. And, and when we serve, it also helps us want to gather. And when we gather, it helps us want to serve. And, and, and when we connect with each other, it makes us want to be here together. And all of a sudden, all of these begin to work together to create all kinds of momentum towards your spiritual growth. And then the truth of the matter is, when all these are happening with momentum, then we become people of devotion, hearts fully devoted to God. Then we become people of influence who are giving their lives away and, and talking talk about like what Carrie just talked about, these young men who are, who are pouring into other young men who are going out and sharing the gospel. And then we have hearts of generosity where we actually give of the things that God has given us. These are the six essentials. This is what we do. This is the strategy at Grace to be the church. But you have to step up, and you have to be a part of that strategy. So that's the six essentials. But I want you to go back, and I want you to see something in the Philippians passage. In verse 14, Paul says these words. He says, I kneel before the Father. Verse 16, he says that I pray out of his glorious riches. In verse 17, he says, I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. There is this posture of prayer. There is planning. And there is strategy, but the truth of the matter is all of our planning, all of our strategy, all of our way of doing church is nothing unless God shows up. As a matter of fact, the scriptures say it's all in vain unless God builds the church. And so we have to do all this, and we have to cover the entire thing in prayer. We have to change the culture at grace. We have to change the culture of grace and foster a culture of prayer. You see, it's not that we don't believe in prayer. We pray all the time. It's not that we don't go to the Father and pray, but the truth of the matter is there is not this central, imperative, desperate need in our minds for us to pray. But the truth is we need to change that. We need to foster a culture of prayer. So Paul was writing to his friend Timothy, and he's instructing Timothy on how to do church. It actually, in your Bibles, probably has a, a heading that says instructions on worship. But this is all worship. What I'm doing right now is worship. What you're doing right now is worship. What you did when you sang, that was worship. What you do when you leave here, when you represent Jesus Christ, that's worship. And he's saying, this is how I'm going to instruct you on worship. He says, I urge you, first of all, before anything else, petition, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all the people. We are going to foster a culture of prayer. And we're going to do a few things to uh, make that happen. One of the things is, is we are going to get 1,000 people, 1,000 people to pray at 930 every morning for this church. Whether they're in Muncie, Indiana, or Colorado, or Russia, or Geneva, or India, or Detroit, we want 1,000 people to set their alarms to go off at 930. And when their alarm goes off, we want them to pray for grace. 
We want him to pray for our safety. We want us to pray for God to be fruitful in our ministry. We want to pray that God would speak to the leadership. We want to pray that we would be a family and that we would love each other well. Whatever God brings to mind, pray for us at 9.30 every morning. And we're going to begin to ask you if you're doing it. And we're going to collect the names until we get to 1,000 people who are stopping and praying. And I can guarantee you that God will show up. I can guarantee you that God is going to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine when we start to ask him to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. The other thing we're going to do is we're going to get to the point where we have 100 or more people showing up before each service for a half hour. So if you come to the 9 o'clock service, you would come at 8.30. If you come to the 11.10 service, you'd come at 10.40. Wow, that's hard math all of a sudden. So Anyway, half hour before the service, you show up. And right now, we just meet in the lobby because guess what? There's 10, 11 of us. But how cool will it be when we outgrow the lobby and we have to move into the cafe? And then we outgrow the cafe and we actually have to move into here. And we actually get our hearts centered around prayer. And we begin to pray, God, we don't know everything you're going to do this Sunday, but we want you to do amazing things. And so we cover this place in prayer. We cover the children's ministry in prayer. And we cover the, 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 the singing and the, the, the using of music in prayer and the teaching that Sunday in prayer. And God will begin to use that to do more than we ask or imagine. And I'll tell you where this came from for me. We go to KEA every year. We, we load up these kids in buses, and we go to Branson, Missouri, kids from Eagle Sport, and uh, they have a great camp there. Well, there's one particular day. It's usually the fourth day of camp. They do something called crosstalk. It's where they share the gospel, and they do, a really, do it in a really profound sort of way. But on the day of crosstalk, everything changes in that camp. There is a quietness about the camp from all the leaders. They begin praying in the morning. They do a prayer walk, and then they really ask people to quiet themselves down and to be praying throughout the day for what's going to happen that night. When we go to meals, they ask us not to talk at meals so that we can be prayerful about crosstalk. And then in the hours preceding crosstalk, all of us who are leaders, we meet in a gymnasium and we literally get on our faces and we say, God, we don't know what you're going to do, but we ask that you would do something amazing at crosstalk. And then we go down to this crosstalk down on the water. And this is, this is actually how it goes down. This guy gets up on the stage a couple years ago and his talk is terrible. I mean, I'm just being honest with you. I couldn't follow his train of thought. I wasn't sure what he was trying to say. I'm not even sure that he was completely right in the way he used scripture. I'm thinking, how is this ever going to work? And he got to the point and he said, okay, guys, if you want to give your life to Jesus, I want you to stand up and I want you to come down here. And the kids stood up and they ran to the front. I mean, in masses, these kids came down and they gave their life to Jesus. And God whispered in my ear and said, it's not about the show. It's not about how profound the speaker is. It's not about how clever he is. It only matters that the Spirit of God shows up and does what the Spirit of God wants to do. And we are not clever enough. We are not good enough. We are not talented enough to mask what God wants to do. And the only way God is going to unleash his Spirit in this place is if we pray. If we truly pray as a church. We need to pray for favor. We need to pray for fruitful ministry. We need to pray for God's protection. And I think we can do this. I believe we can unleash a culture of prayer in this place that will radically change who we are as a church. So Ephesians 3.21, it says, To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, according to his power, not our cleverness, his power. And why would he do it? To him be the glory in the church, to make God known in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So one of the things we're going to pray for 
is that God would grow this church, that we would actually be a church literally without curtains. And so we're going to pray by this time next year that there are 2,000 people, not 1,300 to 1,500, but 2,000 people showing up on Sunday so that we can maximize the redemptive potential of this building for those two services. I'll tell you the truth. If you look at my notes, wherever it is, uh, it actually says 1,800. And 1,800 was my scared number. I'm just being honest with you. I've been telling people 1,800, and every time I say 1,800, I feel like God's saying I want to do 2,000. And so I was sitting down there this morning, and God and I were having this little debate. And I'm like, I don't want to say 2,000. He says, I want you to say 2,000. But I'd really feel much better if I said 1,800. Well, I don't want you to say 1,800. I want you to say 2,000. So it is. It's 2,000. So when you look at the... When you look at the slide, the slide's wrong. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to summarize our goals and objectives for 2014 and 2015 ministry season, the season that starts literally today. The first is we're going to foster and unleash a culture of prayer. We're going to reshape who we are and how we approach ministry. We're going to do that by getting 1,000 committed people to pray for grace at 9.30 every morning. We're going to do that by getting 100 people or more showing up before each service, and that starts next week. Come. Imagine how much it will quiet your spirit, how much it will change the way you walk into the room when church starts. We're going to develop prayer teams for every ministry. Every ministry is required to have a group of people who are meeting at least once a month to pray for that ministry and praying for that ministry throughout the month on their own. Those prayer teams will pray for the leader. They'll pray for the volunteer leaders. They'll pray for the people they're serving. We are going to bask every single ministry in prayer. We're going to average 2,000 people by this time next year. We're going to do a small group study called The Church Without Curtains, and we're going to get 750 to 1,000 people participating using 90 to 100 small group leaders, and those groups are going to be mosaics. We are going to be intentional about putting diverse groups together so that we can have conversations about what it means to live out our faith cross-culturally. And somebody asked me, what does the mosaic mean today? And I should have said it earlier, but for us to be a mosaic means that we are diverse racially, that we have a wide array of socioeconomic background, and we know that part of the mosaic is that we have a variety of different spiritual Uh, past spiritual experience. We have people that have been part of the Roman Catholic faith. We have people that have been in Pentecostal churches that are are one way. We just have this this huge array, and that all shapes how we're going to do church. So those are some of the main objectives, but there's one more that I want to put out there, and for me, this is another one of the big big faith ones. Since I have started here, I've been on staff for eight years, and uh, we have always been behind financially. And we've never spent more than we've taken in, but we've always been behind. We said, this is our budget, and then right out of the chute, we're not quite making our budget, so then we stop doing some things, and we can't make the decisions we want to make, and it kind of holds us back in some ways. What it does mostly is it causes us to be kind of, I think the right word would be pensive or apprehensive to, to do in ministry. Well, I would like to challenge the church to raise $3 million this year. That's $3 million. That includes the money that we would raise through impact. Last year, the goal was 275. We didn't quite raise 275. We had some excess monies to make up the difference. But I want us to raise 300,000 this year. We raised about $25,000 in our, uh, what we call the benevolent giving. That's the offering that we take at the back door after um, communion. And that's the money we use when the body, the family, has particular needs making ends meet. That's our benevolent fund. And I want to raise that to $50,000. 
That leaves $2,650,000 that I want us to raise towards our operational budget. And here's what I want to tell you. When you see the budget in a few minutes, I would encourage you all to stay for the budget meeting. Only the members can vote, but if you call Grace your home, you ought to stay. We're not presenting a $2.6 million budget. I'm talking about income. Our budget is just a slight growth over what it was last year. But if we can do this, if we can actually raise more than we're spending, then we can begin to do the things that God is calling us to do. So when we dream about building a school in India for Dalit children, maybe we could actually do that. When we dream about building a, a home for girls who were rescued from slavery in, in Delhi, then maybe we could actually do that. When we talk about and dream about, maybe we need to hire a pastor that's just ministering to the, the 20 and 30-year-olds at Grace because we need to help them to, to fit in. Well, guess what? Then we could actually do that. We need to get to the point where we're not always a little bit behind, but we actually have what God wants us to have so that we can dream the dream. And we will always come to you. It's part of our constitution. This isn't so we have a a slush fund that we can just go spend willy-nilly. This is so that we can sit together and we can discern what God's doing and we can step into that. Just as a way of closing, I just want to recognize and give voice to something. Look, I know this is a weird season at Grace. I get it. It's a weird season for me. I know that we're not sure what's going to happen in the coming year. We don't know who's going to be the next senior pastor. We don't know what God is going to do. But I can tell you what God is telling me. He's saying, Doug, it doesn't really matter. I just want you to be faithful today. I just want you to do what I'm calling you to do this week. Look, whatever's going to happen next year is going to happen next year. I don't know what's going to happen. And if I thought I knew what's going to happen, it probably wouldn't happen anyway because that's the reality of life. But what God is saying is be faithful in the day. Can I tell you what he's telling us as a church is he does not want us to sit on our hands and wait for what's next. He wants to move at a church. If we can do the things we've talked about today, then this church will be so much more ready for whoever it is that leads this place six months eight months, 12 months from now. We need to get ourselves ready. We need to be faithful in the day. We need to be a church that honors what God has given us. There are so many resources and opportunities in front of us, and we need to seize the day in the Spirit of God. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity just to stand up here and talk about where we're going. Thank you for the excitement that you've given me just to be a part of this. I'm not sure I've ever stood on this stage and not remembered where I was when I walked through the doors 20 years ago. I was running from you. I had no idea. Just a guy trying to make a living and screwing up his marriage. You said, I'm home. You whispered in my ear and you welcomed me back and you showered your grace and your mercy on me and you brought men and women around me through small group experiences that loved me well and encouraged me to be more than I was in Christ. And But I have no idea how I ended up standing here. But what I do know is you desire to do more than we ask or imagine. In this church, in our lives, Lord, help us to embrace that. Help us to be who you've called us to be. Lord, prepare this church for the next decade, for the next 20 decades, for as long as it takes until you return. Help us to be the church you've called us to be, doing the thing you've called us to do with impact. Thank you for your son. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. 
Lord, I pray for the hearts of those who just, they're afraid. They're afraid to let go. They're afraid to give you everything. They're afraid of what you might ask them to do. Help us to embrace the adventure of walking with you. Thanks for grace. Thanks for Jesus. His name we pray. Amen. Hey, so this is what's going to happen right now. We have um, our budget meeting where we actually vote on the budget. It's one of the things that everyone gets a chance to do. My encouragement to you again, if you're a regular attender, even if you're not a member, stay. Stay and, and, and hear what's going on in the budget. It's important information for you to have. But literally in five minutes, so that means at quarter to one, we are going to begin the presentation. We're going to walk through the budget, and we're going to ask you to vote at the end of that. So you've got five minutes. If you have not picked up your ballots, you just go right back to the information counter. If you don't want to go out now, you can listen to everything, pick it up afterwards, and still vote. If you are not staying for the budget meeting, you still need to pick up your kids. This is an opportunity to go have lunch on us. So get your kids, and, and, and that's fine. We'll see you next week. And don't forget, Celebration Sunday at Baldwin Park. God bless you. Five.